Today's episode of Basketball Reasons is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Hello and welcome to Basketball Reasons. I'm Bill Oram, joined as always by Brett Dawson. Brett, hello. Bill, how are you? Doing okay. Doing doing kind of the same same thing as, as last week. How are you holding up? How are things in uh, in, in your in your part of town? Um, dramatically changed this week because I uh, I added a temporary roommate to my lease this week. I am fostering a dog. Um, he's a Youngster, don't know exactly how old. Um, Chihuahua and we think Blue Healer mix because he's got some Blue Healer markings uh, on his body. And um, his name is Augie, and he's with me temporarily. He's actually uh, recovering from some surgical stuff right now, so I'm actually going to pick him up in a bit. But he has been living with me and will continue to live with me for a little while. Pretty excited about that. Uh, can you change his name? Because I, I think we could come up with a really good Lakers inspired uh, name for your dog on, on this podcast. I- because I am fostering, they prefer that I don't. I mean, it's not like anybody would know. Greg Foster it on this on this podcast, um, but uh, they want him to get accustomed to answering to a name in case the people who adopt him full time would like to keep that name. Uh, now they may change it, but as a as a foster uh, uh, as a dog foster, the idea is kind of not to change the name. Did you Did you like my name? Yeah, it's a good. That's great. It's great. But Greg won a championship at the Lakers in two thousand one. Augie's pretty good, though. It reminds me of James Augustine, a basketball player I covered at the University of Illinois when I was first starting out. Um, that was his nickname. So, you know, it's kind of a it's got a throwback appeal to me. And uh, he just seems like an Augie. It works pretty well for him. I want to shout out Caring Songs Rescue. That's the uh, organization I'm working with. They have dogs that need fostering. So if you're in the L.A. area and you just, you know, are kind of in a situation where you have some time, you're at home more. That's for me, you know, we have jobs, obviously, Bill, where we're gone like multiple times in a day on a game day. And then sometimes there's travel. So it's hard to have a dog uh, if you live by yourself as I do. So um, fostering is a great option right now because you can keep a dog temporarily. They really need the help. You kind of help them get acclimated to living in a home uh, as opposed to living in a shelter. And it's really good companionship for a period of time where, you know, if you're if you're home and you need a project, uh, helping a dog out is a good project. Yeah, go get your own Greg Foster. That's awesome, Brett. Good for you. How's, how are things going for you? I know that um, I know you were on Spectrum this week because I saw a clip on the Internet. I don't my, my triumph, my triumph, triumphant return to television after two months. Yeah, I was particularly I, fond of the shirt that you chose to wear. Um, which said Billapalooza and appears to have a picture of yourself on it. In my defense, I started out wearing an athletic sweatshirt, thinking I could you know, promote the brand. But it was just hot in my house, and that happened to be the T-shirt I had on, on underneath. But the juxtaposition of it was kind of funny because it's a photo of me with like my hair combed, a well-trimmed beard. It's actually from, um, it's from years ago. It's from my bachelor party, and it was a gift from Derek Gardunio, who's the PR guy for the Utah Jazz. He made it up for me. And it's it is the thickest T-shirt material I've ever had. It's like a sweatshirt almost. So it 
is it has withstood the tests of time. But it's a yellow, uh, it's a yellow T-shirt. You can see it on on Twitter. Um, but yeah, it's it's a play on Mitchapalooza from old school, Billapalooza. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it's funny. You just see my, you know, well-trimmed, somewhat professional look on my on my shirt, and then just north of there is my current face. You know, shaved head, uh, beard going every every which way. And Brett, I know you can relate to this also, um, because like me, you have let yourself go and look like Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. That's the joke. You haven't done it's, that. I have not. I yeah, I shave. Every couple of days, and I've cut my own hair like three times during this. Well, I think my next move is going to be to have a blonde mohawk. So um, ah. I've, I've grown enough hair to dye it blonde and then subsequently shave it into a mohawk. So I'm thinking about putting that on Instagram Live. Maybe if I can figure out a way to um, uh, raise, maybe raise a little bit of money for your for your um, for your the, the folks helping you out with the dogs. Maybe that would be a, a path forward. But um, great, very Rodman like like not the mohawk as such, but you know, very much the, you know, Dennis Rod, the old school Dennis Rodman colored hair is in the news. It's like a nice inspiration. Well, it's also Kyle Kuzma, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not boring. Damn. I'm not boring to quote, to quote Kuz. So, right. um, look, maybe that'll be my, my next look. But, um, anyhow, uh, it was another week in, in, in Lakers history. Um, things that we know, um, obviously Shams reported that the Lakers were opening their practice facility on Saturday. We're waiting to hear how, um, how, how that went. And Brett, we did something um, new this week at The Athletic that I think we're going to keep doing for our, uh, for our readers, for fans of the Lakers. And I enjoyed it. Do you want to tell the people what, we, what, we have, uh, have, what we've started here? Yeah, so we're doing a thing with um, Andy and Brian Kamenetsky, who uh, cover the Lakers with us, um, also do the other half of this podcast. And it's mostly about movies right now. So if you're interested in movies, uh, check that other half of the Forum Club. Um, but what we're doing is we're doing a couple of roundtable discussions a week, and it's basically the four of us jump into a Google document, and we just sort of have a conversation. Um, and we try to keep it as conversational as we can. Obviously, we're writers, and so it's going to be a written word, but we're trying to make it as much like a conversation among four people uh, who, who are talking about the Lakers as we can. So uh, every Tuesday, we'll kind of look back uh, into the past. So this this past week, and we'll talk a little bit more about this one, but the first one we did on Tuesday was to look back at 1991 and just, you know, kind of wonder what would happen. These are kind of what if stories. Um, what if Magic Johnson had not retired uh, on the occasion of his uh, HIV positive test? Um, and we'll get into this. We did not want to do a, a, a question about, you know, what if Magic Johnson never got HIV? That would have been wildly insensitive and was not something you or I were interested at all in talking about. But we we found a way to frame that that I think was interesting and fair and, and gave it a jumping off point to discuss how that might have altered Lakers history. Um, and then also got into some discussion about magic and what magic has meant, um, you know, to the world uh, since that and, and, and carried on in that vein. And, and how might that have been different? Um, and then on Thursdays, we'll do another one of these. And those will be something a little different. They'll look at something maybe current to the Lakers. Maybe it'll be about the future. It's more of a wild card uh, uh, topic. So this Thursday, in that case, we talked about this idea. Shaquille O'Neal uh, had done an interview with USA Today and, and said basically, one, for player safety uh, to shut down the season, but also that he felt like whoever won the championship this year was going to have an asterisk by it. It wouldn't be, uh, in, in a way, a legitimate title like the others are because the, the situation will be different. God, so I love a, a man who, says, who pronounces asterisk correctly. <laughs> so anyway, those are the two topics. 
Um, and, and I thought both of them were interesting ideas. The, the, the magic one you and I kind of uh, came up with as we were talking about some other story ideas. Uh, and then the other, which I think will happen, the Thursday one was just kind of more organic. We're just looking for something in the news, something we can react to kind of in the moment. Yeah, you know, it was interesting with the with the Magic Johnson discussion. I, I you're, you're so right, Brett. We really, really, really wanted to avoid making this about something. We didn't want to trivialize the disease that he that he has lived with and has, you know, really there's really fueled some of um the way he's inspired different communities in the world that maybe aren't necessarily typically impacted by just a great basketball player so we didn't want to we didn't want to um go back and say what if he didn't get hiv but it, it is interesting because you know i did a story a few years back on the 25th anniversary of his announcement where i really was curious i didn't feel like we've really talked a lot about hiv um much in the last couple of decades as it relates to the NBA beyond Magic Johnson in the question of what would happen if another player uh, contracted HIV, if another player um, came came out and said, I have all, I, I'm HIV positive. In 2020, you know, David Stern, who I, who I spoke with um, for this story three years ago, said he didn't think it would make a ripple. And I don't, I don't know if I agree that it would be, you know, completely a non-story, but it wouldn't be what it was in 1991 where, where you had... Um, players, you know, very publicly and uh, openly and really without consequence, you know, making some really ignorant comments about what, you know, what, about their willingness to play uh, in, in, in the same league as him. And the, and the idea that, you know, now in, in the modern time, our understanding, our acceptance, uh, treatments um, are all better. The stigma, I think, still exists, but has been, has been mitigated thanks to education and, and, and definitely because of, of the role Magic Johnson has taken on in that, in that community. So if Magic had played in a different time or if, if um, our understanding and education of HIV had moved at a quicker pace by the time he came forward in 1991 and he had been able to keep playing with, 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 with the disease, what would have been different? And, you know, there's all sorts of things. You get into roster construction, you know, the Lakers were coming off finals run in 1991. They didn't get back to that level again, obviously, after Magic, uh, Magic's abrupt retirement until 2000. Would there have been more finals appearances? What would um, what would Michael Jordan's legacy look like? Would he have had six rings or would he have five or four? Um, does, does Charles Barkley end up with the Lakers? Obviously, the Lakers probably aren't drafting Eddie Jones. And so it just changes the whole course of, of that decade. Although we did sort of land on the idea that in terms of would Jerry West have still tried to find a way to add um, Shaquille O'Neal? Almost certainly. Would Would Jerry have still been um, intrigued and by Kobe Bryant? Yes. So there, to me, there was sort of the the middle of that decade could have been very different. But in terms of long range planning, it would have been a matter of of making the pieces fit and affording them all. But I also think that there's a chance where the Lakers maybe still end up with um, Kobe and Shaq, or at the very least, Kobe. Yeah, it's it's notable that. Kobe and Shaq, despite being foundational pieces, obviously neither one was like a, a top five draft pick by the Lakers, um, and so they didn't ha- they didn't need to be bad to get one of those two guys. Um, Kobe was such a, a unique circumstance in the sense that he you know he's such a talented player and yet was uh, at a time when people didn't jump at drafting high school guys, particularly high school guards, um, that high in the draft, and so they were able to to do some maneuvering to get him without having a really high pick. And so yeah, that that opportunity is still there. Um, I think it was it was an interesting discussion. I think get, getting into some of the discussion about how magic has changed the world and how that might have been different 
Um, had he had he been doing it as a player? I think that was all interesting. I thought about this a couple days. I didn't think about this as we were writing it. I thought about it a day later or so when I read it. There are probably people, maybe some listening to this podcast, but certainly people who follow the NBA for whom it, it's just like a a thing that like when you have blood, you have to come out and get your, you know, you take your jersey off or they have to remove the blood stain. They have to immediately remove the blood. And like there are probably people who don't know that's a Magic Johnson rule, that that went into effect um, because the expectation was that Magic was going to play um, initially uh, with HIV. And there was this concern that, you know, like, oh, well, you know, like, I think Carl Malone was the one who raises it. If you read that that roundtable, there's a link to a 1992 uh, Harvey Ayrton New York, New York Times story um, to, where Carl Malone is quoted extensively. It's the story that sort of made Malone famous um, for his objection to Magic Johnson, although it was not the only time he expressed those concerns. But he talks about, you know, I've got these these wounds. I'm scratched. I'm scraped. And, you know, like, I'm going to get on the court with this guy and what if he's bleeding and that, that sort of thing. All that stuff, like, th- that's a, a huge part of Magic's legacy. It's weird to call that part of his legacy. Um, but that's a, a way in which he altered the game that we don't even think about anymore. He altered the world in ways that I think have almost become... They're so much a part of his like they're 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 inseparable from him. You, you think of him almost as much for this as you think of him for a bas- as a basketball player. Yeah, and you mentioned the um, the you know change your jersey if there's blood on it. There was no bloodborne pathogen policy in the league whatsoever, and that was actually a Gary Vitti thing. Um, you know, the Lakers' legendary uh, longtime trainer. When when Magic you know came forward and, and you know Magic played in that that next preseason. Um, I think that's when VD very famously treated Magic without gloves on to try to show that he was not afraid of of the virus as a you know kind of a, a medical um, mind. But when but at that time, David Stern actually asked Gary VD to write the bloodborne pathogen policy for the league, and he did so. So um, just another um, interesting piece of how of how that history came together. I do want to talk briefly, Brett, about the process of these roundtables because. Um, it's it's an entertaining part of my week, uh, where we will we'll open up a Google Doc and it's you, me, Brian, and Andy trying to have this very conversational conversation typing, but working in a Google Doc and we're all typing over each other. We're trying to like put our cursor on the page and you end up you end up accidentally bumping you know somebody else's interrupting somebody's sentence. Um, it I don't know if I can really articulate the entertainment value of that. And then people are texting. I, I, you, I, I can't keep up with Bill's cursor. You know, it, it's just, it's a, it's a very entertaining process and I think it's keeping us young. Yeah. We, we set aside a few hours for this cause it is a process to get it done. Um, and you and I work in Google docs a lot. There's a lot of reasons um, to, to do it for, for sharing documents, but this is the first time I've ever had quite this experience. Like I don't think I understood that there's a little lag in Google docs. So I can be typing and you can start typing and suddenly we're kind of just like right, literally almost in the same sentence we're typing uh, on top of each other. So that's been a new experience for me because it's like if you, there's the end of a, a paragraph and you hit return twice and start a paragraph and I do the same thing, uh, Google Docs does not keep up with that particularly well. It doesn't separate those two right. things out. So it is like, it, it is like, um, it is like one of your family Zooms where everybody's trying to talk at once. And you just want, uh, you just, just in written form. You just want to mute everybody and, and, yeah. and lay down the rules. You will go, yeah. then you will go, okay, right. I'm going to, un, I'm going to unmute you. Right. Piece by piece. But you also can't really work offline on your own answers because you need to be seeing that you're not typing exactly the same thing that somebody else well, you're is, not, which in, is in the flow. You don't want to lose right. the flow. So, um, all right. Should we give Should we give them a little peek of what uh, we've got coming next week, Brett? What next week's conversation topic is? 
Sure, yeah. Uh, just quickly, the Thursday topic that we touched on, the Notes version of that is we don't believe in the asterisk for this season, for this champion. But I, I think you can still go in and get, and get some interesting uh, stuff out of that. There was, we, we had some fun with that idea uh, and, and how far you extrapolate that out and that sort of thing. But Here, this, Here's the thing. I don't believe in the asterisk, but I do believe that like we will look at this um, championship differently, especially in the near term. But a lot of it is going to ha- depend on what happens next. Because like people are like, well, nobody talks about the 99 Spurs season as an asterisk season. Well, tell you what, if the Knicks had won that series, they sure as hell would. And and also, the fa- in the immediate aftermath, it's like, hold on, the finals is the Spurs and the Knicks in this weird 50-game season? Like, yeah. of course it is. Like, that's so weird. If the Spurs had never become what the Spurs became, I think we would look at the 99 season differently. And so I think what... And I don't know if we'd go so far as to call it an asterisk season, although that was always a Phil Jackson mind game to call that season, that, that a Spurs championship, uh, or an, that Spurs championship an asterisk. But I, I think that um, if, you know, if we get a one-time champion, if let's say the, uh, um, the Utah Jazz somehow win the championship, you know, that's a team that before the year I think we considered to be in the mix, maybe on the, on the, the bubble of the mix as contenders in the West. Um, if they win the championship or if Denver wins the championship and Denver, by the way, is just a, a very underrated team and would have been a legitimate championship contender during the regular season. But let's say Denver wins the title and then somehow breaks up um, or doesn't ever get back to that level again. And we're going to look back on it. I think there will be a asterisk is just asterisk is just a stupid word. And it doesn't yeah. it doesn't allow for any nuance in this conversation. But it, if you have a champion that doesn't back it up in future years, I do think that historically it does take some of the, the the heft out of that championship moving in the direction of it being delegitimized. But I'm not I'm not willing to go quite that far. For sure. So I the one place I think where you really need to denote it in the record books with like a like something either a literal asterisk or something approximating it, a footnote, is if they change the format in any way, right? So if they say um, you know what? It's too risky. Uh, what we have to do is such a big process. We're only going to let eight teams into the playoffs instead of 16. So then, yes, you denote that. Your your champion's road was different. Obviously, it's going to be different because they're going to play. In, if, if they play games, they're going to be in front of no fans. They're most likely going to be in kind of a bubble location. It's going to be different. But that format will be the same for everybody else. And the syst- the basic system of winning a title would be the same. You have to get through you know, three conference opponents and a finals and you got to play seven game series. If that changes, yes, you denote it. Um, The other thing, it's a great point you make about the the sort of one-time champion. And as you were saying that, the team I really thought about is what if after many failed opportunities, James Harden and Russell Westbrook were to win one and then never win another, then it would say, here are these two great players who could never get it done in any regular season, but they got it done in this in this one. And we would always look at it that way. We do look at those Knicks as a complete fluke, and they were a complete fluke. There was a lot going on. They were very good teams, though. You know, the Knicks had very good teams from the early 90s to that point. They were very good and couldn't get over the hump. Had they won that title and never won another, it would cheapen it, I think, without question. I don't even remember who all the Knicks beat in, as the eight seed. I mean, I obviously remember them beating the Pacers, but I'm actually trying to go back and remember who they all beat the Heat in the first round. The he Heat was the were the one seed, one. okay. And then I think they swept the Hawks in the second round, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Yeah. Wow. Good memory. That was a really fun Knicks team, um, particularly. You know, that's the that Knicks team is also sort of the genesis of the the quote unquote Ewing theory, um, because Patrick Ewing got hurt and they made the finals. 
Um, it's a weird thing because it was a flukish team in every way, but they were they were pretty different once Ewing got hurt, and they were they were pretty fun to watch. Yeah, Chris Childs, Mark Scamby, LJ, Alan Houston, Latrell Sprewell. Yeah. That was their kind of wing combination. Yeah. They were very good. <sighs> okay. Um, well, okay, and then let's give give a little peek at next week's debate, uh, Brett, and then. Um, and then maybe talk a little bit about about Dwight. But um, next week, we're going to go back to a different pivot point in Lakers history, more recent, maybe a, a little more uh, light than, than kind of our, our opening salvo. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the well, I guess it was the, would have been the 2015 draft, and what if the Lakers had, instead of drafting D'Angelo Russell, drafted Kristaps uh, Porzingis? This is a fun one, obviously, because D'Angelo Russell ends up being not only a pretty good Lakers player, but he ends up being this sort of important piece uh, transactionally for what ends up getting you LeBron James. And you would have had to take a very different path uh, if you had Chris Epps Porzingis. And yet, you might have actually been even more appealing if you did have him as a, as a piece to kind of lure in LeBron. So it, it, I'm, I'm really interested to dive into it and see where it goes because it's a fun thing to think about. Well, and I, I mean, that's the thing. If you go back to that draft night, the, the big question was whether they're going to draft D'Angelo or Jaleel Okafor, who was the more um, kind of the more logical, uh, not lo- logical, but he was the more um, consensus choice there. And ultimately, they threw a little bit of a curveball and, and, and took D'Angelo. But you go back and talk to people from that time. Christoph Porzingis was absolutely in the mix and obviously was the better player, faster, um, the more the more um, the, the player you could more build around right from the beginning, I think. And that was kind of where the Lakers, I think, were wrong in their assessment, where they thought he was going to take longer to develop. And he came in right away and was an impact player and a marketing sensation. Um, so that was uh, – hi, Teddy. It's our mascot. T- Teddy keeping a streak alive. I like it. Yeah. Anyhow, that was a different time in, in, in you know when the Lakers had – um, you know, a lot of different routes they could have gone and the way they went ended up not being bad, at least in terms of some value, but but ultimately um, you know, not probably not the most transcendent player from that from that core of guys. Yeah, we'll get into this in the in the roundtable, I'm sure. But I think the thing you hit on there was Russell did seem like a safer star. He seemed like a, like if you're the Lakers and you want like a Los Angeles you know, you're looking for your next star player. He seemed to have that kind of wattage about him. It turns out Porzingis sort of did uh, in New York, which I don't think people saw coming. So um, that's a fun aspect of that that I'm sure we'll get into uh, this week. So I would urge people to check those out. I think they're pretty fun. And if you're just kind of looking for some escapist Lakers reading, the Magic Johnson thing can be kind of heavy. And yet there's also some points in there where we're we're having a lot of fun with the idea of the Barkley uh, notion and what might have happened there and, and what that all might have led to. So I think they're they're pretty entertaining reads. And though there's a, a lot of people and a lot of voices, I, I don't think they feel like real long reads. And then the last thing, Brett, um, we would be remiss if we did not, um, did not acknowledge uh, Dwight Howard's uh, conference call with the media yesterday. Um, the one thing the Lakers have done during this time is they've done a good job of, of keeping us um, – connected to you know a handful of people from the organization with, with Zoom calls. I think we've talked about this before. We've talked to Frank Vogel a couple of times. We've talked to Rob Palinka once, LeBron once. And yesterday, the Lakers made Dwight Howard available. And listen, we know Dwight is an entertaining interview. So as among players I would want to talk to, Dwight's pretty high on the list. And the Zoom call starts, and there he is in a red tank top, muscles bulging, standing. He's outside on his cell phone. And, and you know, you, you think that this is going to just be a rollicking Dwight um, interview and he's 
and he's you know outside on his farm in Georgia with um, trees behind him. He's he's screaming at his dog Diablo. You know, total chaos. And then he, as almost a footnote, um, mentions that he's had a really hard time during this because he suffered a personal tragedy. The mother of uh, his six-year-old son passed away um, in March. And that led Dwight, I thought, down a really interesting and introspective road. I wrote about that today at The Athletic. Um, would encourage you to check it out. Um, Dwight, I think we agree, Brett, has been a, um, a, a really good evolution of himself in the second stint with the Lakers. Very, very, um, very focused, very grateful, and, you know, has really tried to um, kind of just stay in his lane and has had just, you know, like all the Lakers, this season has been completely um, uh, unprecedented in terms of the tragedy and controversy that it has um, endured, you know, going back to China and then obviously um, the death of Kobe Bryant, having the season suspended while they seem to be on course for a championship. And then in, in, you know, various people's personal lives, deaths, the death of Adam Silver, and now Dwight losing um, someone that he, that he was very close to, the mother of his child, and someone he said he remained really good friends with. Um, so, you know, it was interesting. Dwight said that as much as he does want to play basketball again, and, and there is nothing more important right now than this time with his son, as he tries to help his son, you know, deal with, you know, the loss of his mother. I mean, it was really heavy and I, I was really impressed by Dwight for, for getting into all of that. Yeah, me too. I, I thought there were a couple things. Um, you know, one, he did talk about basketball as like when you're dealing with something like this, you often have basketball, you know, the season is long. And so obviously things can come up in your life at any point, but because the season is long, a lot of times when you have adverse situations like the situation with Kobe, it's in a season and basketball gives you a thing to kind of escape to. And right now he's at home and he's enjoying his time at home. He made that very clear that he likes this time with his family, but it, it does give him one less escape. And I think it, it gives him a, uh, this chance to be a little bit more in his own head. Um, and I, I, he, he did indicate a difficulty there. I've always thought Dwight's situation with Kobe was probably the, 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 the most interesting challenge anybody on the Lakers had in dealing with it because he publicly sort of feuded with the guy and whatever degree of makeup there was, um, you know, that was the legacy of Kobe and Dwight is that they didn't get along. And so suddenly you're in the situation where uh, this tragedy happens and it centers on somebody who you've had this sort of complicated relationship with. So he, he always seemed to be having some, um, I don't know if trouble, but he was definitely doing a lot of processing during the season. So I can understand how this on top of that is even, you know, makes magnifies this, which would be a horribly tragic situation regardless. Um, but I, I do think that that it's for Dwight, it's another thing on a plate that's been pretty full. And I do think he did a pretty good job, um, you know, just sort of expressing what he's dealing with. And, and I, I thought that whole conference call was fascinating because it was Dwight. It was it, he was funny. Uh, he was entertaining a lot of the time. I think I heard horses at one point that farm. Sounds pretty impressive. But talking about that time with his kids, he Dwight has been known to make jokes about having a lot of kids, and he, he, he made one yesterday when he said he has two six-year-olds and said, I know what you're thinking, you know. Um, but but I, I found that whole exercise yesterday to be um, – I, I don't even know what the word is for it. I don't want to say entertaining. It's not. I was intrigued by everything Dwight said, but some of it was really heavy. It wasn't entertaining at all. I just admired the openness of it, I think. Yeah, and I think that's just something that, um, you know, I, th I think that there has been, um, maybe the word is authenticity 
to Dwight. Um, and and again, Brett, unless I'm wrong, neither of us have covered him before, and so I only really right. had um, you know could go by reputation before he got here. And it has been it has been refreshing. And it, you talk about somebody who's been through a lot of trials um, over the, the last few years. I mean, I've, the, the stat I've I've used is that Dwight was traded three times and waived twice in 26 months before he signed with the Lakers. And I mean, that is the to me the definition of an NBA pariah. Nobody wanted him. There wasn't a place for him. He'd been cast aside. The league had moved on. And uh, and you know. I think the Lakers, you know, they, they, they kind of rescued each other, Dwight and the Lakers. And um, he's been through he's been through his trials and, you know, the you know, losing losing Kobe as their relationship, with, I think, was starting to thaw. And then obviously this. Um, and there's just a lot, I think, to admire about Dwight at this at this stage in his life. Yeah. And I think, you know, the crazy thing when you talk about the trades and the the, the being waived, you know, for Dwight and I think, too, for Carmelo Anthony, uh, similarly, like, these aren't just guys this is happening to in the twilight of their NBA career. These are probable Hall of Famers. Carmelo's going to be a Hall of Famer. I think Dwight is a lock to make the Hall of Fame at this point. So that's a challenge to have to accept that, you know, your, your life is just different. You you aren't what you once were anymore, and you have to accept the, the way you go about that. And I think the, the reputation, uh, certainly, uh, that Dwight had before he got here was that he was having trouble adapting to that idea that he was having trouble understanding he wasn't the same player anymore. He didn't get to do all the same things. And that has not been the case here. You wrote a story about Dwight during the season that I, I think about a lot when, when he comes up, because I think we thought about, I, I maybe did one interview for you for that story. Um, but I think we thought going in, we were going to get a different picture from people who used to play with Dwight than what you actually got. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think he just has been, um, like I said, I mean, I, I had so many concerns that he was not going to work out with the Lakers. I mean, we made so much about the non-guaranteed contract, like the ultra, ultra, ultra non-guaranteed contract. And he was basically on a, you know, a series of one day deals was basically the way it was portrayed early on um, because the expectations were so low and the belief that he could, you know, end up being more of a distraction than an asset was, 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 was there. And Instead, you know, he did such a good job saying, I'm not going to talk about the past. I'm not going to talk about the past. I'm going to, you know, only, I'm, you know, and, and in some ways that was frustrating as a reporter because it's like, how can you not talk about what what you went through to get to this point? Um, how can there be a new Dwight without talking about what old Dwight went through? But um, I think over the course of the season, I think once his contract got guaranteed, he became a little more willing to dive into some of those tougher issues. And um you know, and, and, and the play on the court always backed it up. I mean, he was, you know, averaging seven and a half and seven and a half in less than 20 minutes a game. You blow that out to, um, you know, per 36 numbers. It's, you know, well over a double-double a game. Um, just a really uh, pleasant um, surprise, as we've talked about before, in a, in a in, you know, a truncated, um, delayed, uh, strange season. Um, you know, Dwight Howard being, you know, a very legitimate piece of what they were doing of the championship contender is the thing that I don't think we necessarily necessarily anticipated back in September and August. Yeah, I think uh, use the word authenticity to describe some of what Dwight has has uh, what he what he projected yesterday. And um, that was certainly was not his reputation uh, coming to Los Angeles, that he was this authentic guy. I think the idea that Dwight was largely an actor and often a bad actor um, is what had kind of followed him through the last certainly the last couple of stops in his career. Well, you can always count on authenticity from the Basketball Reasons podcast here on the Forum Club, part of the Athletics 
NBA Podcast Network. I'm Bill Orem, joined as always this week and every week. That's what always means by Brett Dawson. Brett, any parting words of wisdom for the for the listeners, our beloved really. listeners? Stay safe, everybody. Don't don't relax. Still, you know, stay on. Uh, keep following the rules. <laughs>